Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Drunk? I had to throw a shoulder shimmy in there. Oh, I know, I heard it in your voice too. <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And our mama Mariana is away on maternity break. Yeah. But this is your book club with a twist, and Brandy and I are still serving as your happy hour girlfriends. Yeah, we are. <laughs> We're not going anywhere for now. Last week, we closed our September book pick, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Our first book without our third happy hour girlfriend, Mariana. Oh my God, I still can't believe it. I know. It went by fast. Yeah. And now Brandy and I are back with your October book pick, The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. I am so excited to read this thriller that's a contemporary twist on the classic story Jane Eyre. Yeah, I'm excited too. Emma, do we have a classic cocktail to pair with this? No, but we have a cocktail (laughs) to pair with this. Hey, that'll do. That'll do. (laughs) And it's another cocktail that I'm excited to announce because it's another pun. I'm really on a pun roll these days. (laughs) Today's cocktail pairing is called The Great Jane. Oh. This one is a bit of a stretch, but our bartender wanted to play with our heroine's dog walking business. So instead of the Great Dane, <laughs> it's the Great Jane. Uh, get it? No? It's not working? <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. Hopefully you won't want to steal anything after enjoying one of these. Except for maybe another. This drink seems like she'd be sweet, but she can also punch you in the face with all her booze. So I don't really trust this Jane, the Hmm. cocktail, and our protagonist. Interesting. But you know who I do trust? Who? Our bartender in residence. Oh. So let's bring him in here to share this recipe. Here's Ricardo. Ricardo. Ciao, Brandy. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, and the brandy in this cocktail is the king or the queen. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So the cocktail of today is called the Great Jane, pun intended, with the Great Jane. Yep. And this cocktail is interesting because we have uh, a couple of ingredients that are not very common. Yeah, and I it's had a, never heard of this. Yeah, and it's a kind of a twist on a martini because the, ba- because the base of the cocktail is still gin and dry vermouth. So right. the recipe is two ounces of gin, one ounce of cherry brandy, half of an ounce of dry vermouth, and a teaspoon of kirsch. Oh. And we shake and strain all the ingredients up into a chilled coupe or martini glass. Got it. And okay. uh, of course, as a garnish, we're gonna go with a maraschino cherry. A cherry! <laughs> so I've never heard of kirsch before. Ever. So it's an interesting ingredient because it's a brandy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Kind of. But it's made with two different types of cherry. One is the dark cherry and the other one is like a wild variety that is a European variety of cherry. Kirsch is German. Kirsch is like um, from the Black Forest, if I'm correctly. 
So、oh. that's not correct. Yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 a very it's a very interesting flavor profile without adding any sweetener. So that's why you have both the cherry brandy、uh. and the kirsch. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't have Kirsch because you're not thinking to have any other Kirsch cocktail in your life ever again, you can substitute it with、uh, the Luxardo Maraschino liqueur. Oh, perfect. That's what I did. Great. It is slightly different, of course, because、uh-huh. even if it's not a sweet liqueur, the Luxardo doesn't have that intense cherry profile that actually Kirsch、right. has. So that's why、uh-huh. you, we just need. A teaspoon because it's a very intense and very cherry oriented liquor. So, if you、Got、don't like cherry, maybe go for the Luxardo, and the cocktail is still gonna be balanced. If you are like a, ch- a cherry lover, I love cherries in general. I do too. So, go for the Kirsch, and you can make other, a lot of other cocktails with the Kirsch. So, let's okay, buy a small、great. bottle. I'm gonna have to get myself a little bottle, yeah. <laughs> So, alla tua salute, Brandy, with this Thank Brandy、you. cocktail. And Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. All right, woman. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. 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 She is a boozy. I said she packs a powerful punch. You look at her and you're like, oh, oh she looks、God. sweet. Yeah, she served in a cute little coupe glass. Like, you think she's gonna be, you think she's gonna be easy, but she's、and、not. She gets ya. I love that cherry, <laughs> though. I like that hint of cherry. It's nice. Yeah, it is nice. I, I don't. <laughs> You don't love it. <laughs> it has a little bit more of a kick than I think I was expecting.、Mm-hmm. So initially, it threw me a little bit. But I, I think I will enjoy it while I'm talking about. Maybe you'll enjoy it more with every sip you take. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's get into this week's chapters, shall yeah, we? Yeah, 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 yeah. This week, we meet Jane, a lowly dog walker for an increasing number of residents in the very wealthy Thornfield Estates. She's a product of the foster care system, lives in a shabby apartment with her creepy ass roommate John, <laughs> and likes to pilfer things here and there from her wealthy but vapid employers. That is, until she meets Eddie Rochester.、Mm. He and fellow Thornfield resident Trip are recent widowers, having both lost their wives in a tragic boating accident. While Trip is still mourning the loss of his wife, Eddie is quickly moving on with none other than our Jane.、Mm. Everything seems too good to be true this week as Eddie asks Jane to move in with him and offers up his debit card for her use anytime she needs it. Seriously, what's the catch with this guy? Oh, yeah, he's trapped his supposedly dead wife, B, in their panic room upstairs. He drowned her best friend, which is Tripp's wife, Blanche. And as Jane moves out of her grubby apartment to move in with him, we find that he's followed her there and exchanges some unpleasant words with John the Creeper. I don't know about for you, but red flags are flying all over the place for me with this oh, guy. Oh, the red flags are flying. They are full mast. <laughs> Well, so Emma, I'm curious starting out this book, because as you mentioned, it's、um, a modern take on Jane Eyre.、Mm-hmm. Have you read Jane Eyre? Are you familiar with the story? Are you seeing similarities and differences so far? You know, I'm embarrassed to say this, Brandy. I don't remember if I've read Jane Eyre or not because. Oh, I feel like you'd remember. 
But I also feel like I must have. Like, how can I be at this point in my life and not have read Jane Eyre? Well, I was sneaky and I read Jane Eyre over the summer. And I in preparation for this? Loved it. Yeah, in preparation for this. Slash also, uh, I love gothic fiction. I know. And I couldn't believe that's a gothic fiction classic. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe that I had never read that book before. And I don't know what I was imagining. I think I had never picked it up because I thought this is going to be dreary. The name yeah. Jane Eyre sounds dreary. Yeah. When I saw the trailer for the movie, it was all fucking dreary. Yeah. But it was not, it was anything but that. It was actually quite exciting. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like one of the most popular books that we have in yeah. our female author liturgy, I think. Yeah, exactly. So just to catch up people who maybe haven't read Jane Eyre. Here are some of the similarities that I've noticed so far. In both stories, Jane's an orphan, though in the original she grows up at a school for destitute young girls. Obviously, the wife being trapped upstairs is happens in both stories, though in Jane Eyre, the wife upstairs is trapped by her husband because she's losing her mind. Like, she's crazy. Yeah, like, actually, too. Like, I did, actually I did crazy. look up the plot. Okay, okay. And they have the same um, name, Bertha. Right, well, right. Ooh. Although this Spoiler! Bertha changes her name, which I'm curious to talk we'll to you about yeah, at we'll some point. We'll get there, we'll get there. Um, John the Creepy Roommate is, I think, based on Jane Eyre's cousin John, who offers her a very bland, loveless marriage full of religious piety and supposed salvation in the afterlife, which mm-hmm. she turns down. And obviously, Eddie is based on Edward Rochester. And the first meeting between this Eddie and Jane is the opposite of what happens in Jane Eyre. In Jane Eyre, Edward's horse slips on ice, and he's the one on the ground when they meet. She goes off to find help. Whereas in this one, he almost hits her with his car. Mm, Good parallel. There's a little twist happening in this one. I don't, um, well, and a twist, obviously, with the wife also, which I'm really curious to see where that's going to go. Yeah, is the character of Blanche in this book... Who is she in Jane Eyre? Or is she, she doesn't not- exist. Yeah. Wow. As far oh, as okay. I so like as far as I can remember. Line. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Oh, interesting. So I'm really curious about what's going on with that uh you know, with Southern Manners, that whole business, the whole kind of rivalry between uh-huh. these two best friends, this other widower, like that is all just from the wife upstairs. Well, like I said, I did catch up on and by catch up on I mean I googled the plot of Jane Eyre in preparation mm-hmm. for this because I couldn't remember the story right and right off the bat after having done so what I did like about this interpretation of the story is that as we just touched on Bertha in Jane Eyre actually has gone crazy like right uh, and it's it's not just like her husband is saying she did she actually right. did she's actually mad yeah yeah whereas i guess mad is maybe more proper than crazy but in this telling of the story she's like an independent badass entrepreneur who has not lost right. her mind and so i like that they're kind of changing her narrative and giving her I the agree. power uh-huh in a weird yeah in a weird in twisted a way weird, fucked up way Well, the other thing I was going to say, too, is in Jane Eyre, in the original, Jane does not have this habit of pilfering things from her employers. Mm -hmm. She's not a thief. She really doesn't have, like, a negative or sarcastic bone in her body. Like, if anything, people are kind of horrible to her throughout her life. And she really rises to the challenge. And she is this very good, decent 
person, which is also a little twist that's going on with our Jane in this one. She's very independent and has her own agenda, it seems like, in all situations. And I don't know if they're setting up this whole storyline of her being a kleptomaniac as like if that's going to come back later as a foil like what right i feel like she is going to steal something or someone's going to have found something that she stole that's going to help solve a solve a the crime or something yeah i feel like it has to come back in that sense otherwise why are they setting her up as just like a pretty not going to say a bad person but she yeah, does have I agree some questionable with traits For sure. And I mean, even I feel like even in this courtship that happens between her and Eddie, like, I couldn't quite grasp, like, how much does she like this guy? And how much is it just that he's wealthy and she sees an opening because he lost his wife? Well, and like, she thinks she can just like slide in there. (laughs) I actually am having a really hard time with that whole. I mean, it's it's a huge aspect of this story. Yeah. And I'm having a really hard time with it because because I'm having a really hard time understanding why he is pursuing her. I mean, mm. I think we have a pr- I think you and I could both probably speculate that he's going to do the same thing to her. Like right. I think you and I both know that this is not going to end well for Jane. Right. Or that he's going to at least try. He's going to try something, yeah. But why her? Like, why from the moment that he almost hit her with the car? I had a theory about this. Okay, good. So my thought was, you know, we don't know a ton about B's background. So I, I also wonder if B Rochester's past might not be what we're assuming it is or if she's not quite who we think she is. There's a lot of to-do made about the fact that her real name is Bertha, as we said, and that she changed it to B. Mm-hmm. And we know that Jane has done the same thing. Jane isn't her real name either. Right. Oh. They both changed their identities to escape their pasts. And I wondered, like, is this some is this giving them something in common? As and does Eddie have a type? Does he like H. H. Holmes have a sense for this kind of vulnerability ah. in a woman, like a lack of family? No one's really going to question if they're missing. Nobody's going to come looking for them. Like, does he somehow already have a sense that Jane can be disappeared, and no one's really going to suspect him? But I don't think that he knows any of that about her until they're already far in. Like, even on their first date at dinner, she hasn't, and he doesn't know that Jane's not her real name. No, but I wonder if he just has some feeling, you know, like. Because she seems pretty bold to me. Totally. But what was it that was said about Holmes and the devil in the White City? It was said that, like, he could sense a woman's vulnerability, like uh-huh. like you could smell a woman's perfume. Yeah. Like, he just had a sixth sense for it. I just think it's interesting that both B and Jane are people who changed, changed their, names their names and are and did it to escape their past so that other people maybe wouldn't know where they came from uh-huh. or something. I mean, that yeah. was the only thing I could come up with for why he is so quick to latch on. Because surely I mean, it's suspicious. Literally from the beginning. Like the second that he saw her, it was like he knew that she would be his next victim. Right. Well, it's interesting that you brought up, that you referenced Holmes from our last book, The Devil in the White City, because the second that Jane talks about Eddie's beautiful blue eyes, I was like, oh, yes, 
I there we that as go. Well. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. He is a fucking serial killer because he has blue eyes. <laughs> and she also, I thought that was really interesting. She, there's a lot of references to how to how Jane notices his eyes, like when they're blue, when there's a red circle around them, when it looks yeah, like he's true. sad. Like she's very in tune that's with true. his eyes, but she does say at some point. One thing growing up in the foster system taught me was to watch people's eyes more than you listen to what they said. Mouths were good at lying, but eyes usually told the truth. So I'm like, why can't you see through Eddie's eyes? Yeah, interesting. But I feel like there are a lot of red flags going on with him that she is just not picking up on at all. Like, So this line made me almost like vomit in my mouth. It said it was toward the end of our chapters this this week, and it's when he follows her. Hello, he follows her back uh-huh. to her old apartment, and he says, "You know, he they have that altercation with her old roommate, and he says to her, please tell me that douchebag wasn't your ex.'" And then she says, "Eddie says this with a grin, and I'd be lying if I said a little shiver of lust didn't go through me. Is it because of his proximity, or because protecting me from John is a turn on?" And I was like, ah, "I don't know who is listening that needs to hear this, but jealousy is not a turn on. This is a fucking red flag. He's a widower, and now you're living with him, and he's giving you his debit card. That is a fucking red flag, even though it's convenient for you." It's a red flag. Also, why is it a debit card and not a credit card? When you're that wealthy, you use credit cards always. But he said, I'll add you to my checking account, too. Like, he's just giving her full access to all of his shit. She's driving one of his cars now. Everything is a red flag. When they went to dinner and he didn't introduce her to the guy. Oh, my God. Huge red flag. Absolutely. Would have really pissed me off. Yeah. Inappropriate. Well, so, Emma, great. So I want to ask you, I just want to talk about red flags. I want to just dish about this. Did you have any red flags with Ricardo? Did he have any with you? What are some of the biggest red flags you faced while dating someone? And did those red flags send you running in the opposite direction? Or like our little Jane here, did you just ignore them and hope for the best? Gossip. Gossip ensues. (laughs) Oh, boy. Imagine if I was like, I have tons of red flags with Ricardo, but I've ignored them all, and let's hope for the best. (laughs) And then we remind our listeners that he has those icy blue eyes. I mean, (laughs) it's the one thing that makes me nervous. No, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, in all honesty, I had zero red flags with Ricardo, which is... Really, really wild because I've never had zero red flags with anyone. And this is going to sound so fucking cheesy and I hate myself that I'm going to say this. But for a long time, I was kind of concerned that he seemed too perfect, Mm. that I was like, something must be wrong. You know, I, I was like trying to look for what could be bad because I was like, no one can be this right for me. Yeah. And I was like, is he putting this on or is this genuine? So then you must have faced a lot of red flags in your past then. If like you're looking at Ricardo and you're like, this guy's perfect. Brandy. (laughs) So many. But to answer your question, one of my glaring faults is that when I do encounter red flags, I act like a fucking little Jane Mm. and I don't run away immediately. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, this kind of ties into stuff that we were talking about in our previous episodes in our last book, but I didn't listen to my gut every time. Yeah. Because I always clocked them. But it was either I would tell myself, well, they'll change, which right. they never do. And also you should never expect anyone to change for right. you. Or I would be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I would cover it up by being like, but he really likes me or he has right. these beautiful redeeming qualities. So right. it's okay. But here, listeners, in case you want some examples of red flags, if you ever encounter these in your dating life, these are some that I came across. And if you come across these, get out. Okay, this one guy that I dated. <laughs> this is I'm answering your question. Here we go. We're going in, Brandy. Let's get it. Let's do it. We always split the bill slash the cost for everything. He never picked up the check or was like, I'll get this. And everything was tit for tat, like from cabs oh, from, wow. to drinks to coffee. That's weird. Like he would always remember like, oh, I got this one so you can get this one. Gross. And if it didn't even out, he would like make it up later. And what? I was like, yeah, it was... Wait, so if there was like a 75 cent difference or something, he'd be like, so you owe me 75 cents? Like, no, was I it that like bad? No, I think we let that go. But like okay. one time he bought tickets to something and I had bought dinner. And so he was like, how much did dinner cost? And it was less than his ticket. So he had me Venmo him the remainder. Wow. So it was even. That's that, listeners, weird. is not a good sign. Yeah, it's really not. If their look. room is a complete mess oh and my they God. don't clean it up Run. when you come over. Run away. Red flag. If you notice, this is a red flag for yourself. If you notice that you never take a photo of the two of you together when you've been dating for a year and a half, ask yourself why you're not taking a photo of you <laughs> together. Especially if you're someone that usually photographs Everything. Okay, I'm guilty of this one, but I don't take photos of anything. So, but you don't. Yeah, but I do. Yeah, you do. So that's weird. so if you're avoiding it, yeah, that's true. If the person that you're dating can never, if you get to the point where they're meeting your parents and there's never a meaningful discussion to be had, if they don't ask each other questions, if they're not trying to get oh, to know each yeah. other, yeah, red flag. He's already got a foot out the door. If you notice that they're sneaking in fast food all the time and trying to hide it from you, likely they'll also do that when you have kids. Red flag. Wow, that's a <laughs> If you never go on a date after the first one and they always ask you to go to their place and then you just have drinks there and then you never go out and never leave their apartment, red flag. <laughs> this is a very comprehensive list. <laughs> I've had a lot of dates. I've lived in New York for 12 years. Does that answer your question? Listen, that answers my question and then some in full. I feel like you have saved a generation of women listening from a bunch of red flag pitfalls. And I feel like you've given some men some, you know, things to take a really good hard look at. I think we could start another podcast that's just <laughs> dating advice for people living in New York. <laughs> That would be a pretty terrifying podcast, probably. <laughs> okay, what about you? I want your answer to this. Well, so the only red flag that I had about Jason when we started dating was that he had never, we started dating in our 30s, okay, our 30s. 
and he had never had a long-term relationship before. Like, I don't think he had had a relationship that was longer than, like, four months or so. Wow. Which, you know, it's a little bit concerning because you don't know hearing that, like, is it because these other people figure something out at around the four-month mark that, like, they say goodbye or is it that at around four months you start getting a little bored and get a wandering eye and scared like, of commitment? You, yeah, you get scared of commitment. You want to peace out. So that was a scary. That was a scary thing to contend with for probably the first like seven or eight months. I was a little bit like concerned, yeah. you know, like watchful, a little bit mm-hmm. like careful about it, mm-hmm. uh, just because I I didn't, I had never experienced that before in a person of that age. It's fair. Yeah. So my. My biggest red flag, because I actually I'm realizing I didn't I haven't dated that much, actually. But there was this one time I was dating somebody and we had had a conversation early on about whether either of us had noticed any patterns in our past dating lives. And he had indicated like patterns about yourself in your dating life, you know, from your past. And he had indicated that he had a few times in his past just ended things with people abruptly And then later realized that he was actually still interested in them. So he would, like, circle back months later and be like, oh, I kind of fucked up. So he admitted this to you. He admitted this to me. And so, of course, since we're talking about it, in my head, I'm like, okay, so this is a pattern he is aware of. He is talking about it. So clearly it's not an issue anymore or it's at least something he's aware of and working on. So cut to several weeks later, we've spent almost the entire day together. It's headed into evening and I've got to run home to take care of some errands and stuff. But he actually asked me to meet up with him later that night just because we had had we were just having a really great time together. Right. So he's like, go take care of your stuff. And then do you want to meet up for like a late dinner or some drinks or something later? And I'm like, sure, that that sounds great. So I get to the place and it's, I mean, it's, by, by this point, it's like 11 o'clock, you know, and we're just, we're having a drink. He's having dinner because he hadn't eaten anything yet. And I don't even, Emma, I don't even remember what I said, oh, no. but it was not deserving of the reaction that I got because he just all of a sudden, like, kind of erupted at me a little bit about, again, whatever this thing I had said was, which I think I had asked him a question about his life or something. <laughs> And he just got, he was really irritated by it, and I didn't know why. And it, like, just put a complete damper on the evening and the day we had had together. We ended up going home separately. Like, it was fucking weird. And again, it was out of nowhere. I had never seen this, like, shade of behavior before Mm. kind of maybe like what you said where it was like has he been covering this this whole time but it's Mm. been under there somewhere and now i'm seeing it so we we i mean we tried for another like week or two to like have dinner together and like have drinks and stuff but it just kind of was never the same because i have of course in the back of my mind like yeah when am i gonna see that crop up again and is it gonna be worse like is it gonna be worse next time and like i'm similar to you like I was a person who would like stick around even when I saw things like that so I did stick around for another like week or two and then finally thankfully he ended things just being like you know that clearly this thing happened a couple of weeks ago and neither one of us can get past it because I wasn't I just wasn't able to be normal I never went back to his place again like it was just a different situation after that had happened and then of course several months later no yeah 
he starts texting me again and we like have coffee together and I realize that he's just gotten out of like he's just broken up with somebody and I'm like wait is this this person trying to start things up again with me the same exact way he told me he had a pattern of doing it was so weird but thankfully by that point I was like no we're not doing this it was very nice having coffee with you, but, like, this is finished now. Like, this is Good done. For you. So you didn't go back? No. I mean, we did have coffee together that one time yeah, just but. as, like, a catch-up. But, no, we didn't stay friends and we didn't, like – I think he tried texting me maybe a couple more times after that. But, no. It was a done. Good for you for not getting sucked into that. That's so weird. I wonder where that comes from. I don't know. Feels like he'd be a great contestant on Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> I have not watched the finale yet. Don't tell me anything. Wait, was it Wait, the, finale? the finale? No, maybe it wasn't the finale. The finale was last night? Don't panic. Don't panic. Maybe it wasn't the finale. I just said that and I have no idea what I'm saying. Well, since we're talking about red flags a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> Wait, Emma. We have a throwback Thursday. Oh, I forgot about her. I know, we haven't done one in a while, but this Throwback Thursday update is about the book Three Women by Lisa Tadeo, which we read in December of 2020. Yes. It's an explosive nonfiction exploration of female sexuality and desire told through the very real-life situations of three women who should have seen some red flags and didn't. It's Lena, a suburban homemaker stuck in a passionless marriage, Maggie, a 17-year-old high school student who finds a confidant in her married teacher, Red Flag, and Sloane, a successful restaurant owner whose husband likes to watch her with other people. So it was announced over the summer that three women will be coming to Showtime as a series, though the release date is still unknown, and Shailene Woodley, Betty Gilpin, and DeWanda Wise have already been cast. So if you didn't read along with us, definitely go back and check out episodes 18 to 21 of the podcast so that you've got insider info when the series gets released and we'll keep you updated on that as well. That was one of our favorite books. Yeah, we loved that book. It was such a, it was so great to be able to read that, yeah. And we got a lot of feedback from our listeners too that they loved that book. So yeah, yeah, go back and listen if you haven't because that series is going to be It's going to be so good. Lit. Especially on Showtime. Ooh. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. so excited I'm for so that. I'm so excited, I know. <laughs> I guess I just want to kind of touch on the way that this whole book is reading overall. Yeah. I'm curious to know if you also feel that it is reading a little bit like young adult. So this time I like, do agree with you. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, because... Because it does. Yeah. And so then I looked into that, and Rachel Hawkins actually used to be a high school English teacher. And she is, in fact, a, a quote-unquote young reader's author. Um. But it's interesting because this one kind of feels like a mashup of Gone Girl and Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, So it's like young adult, but with very adult themes. Yeah, that's a really good comparison, those two books. Yeah, the beginning when she met Eddie, I was like, is this Fifty Shades? This is Fifty Shades. Yeah. (laughs) And then when we find out who the wife upstairs is, Uh I was like, this is some Gone Girl shit. But actually, I thought that Blanche would also be alive. That was a twist for me when I found out. But do we know for sure that she's not? Could she be? No. 
just somewhere else. Like maybe he's just not housing her in the same. Yeah, I don't remember if they found a body for either of them. Well, they must have. Well, they didn't find a body for B, obviously. Not for B, no. Oh, for Blanche? I don't remember. I don't think they did. Because it would have been weird if they found Blanche's and not B's and then right. didn't keep that the search for B. That would have been a B. red flag. Yo, red flag, major red flag when he... <laughs> When he, when Eddie declared B legally dead only a month after she went missing so that he could take right. over the business, that is clearly him just wanting to take over for her yeah. money. Like, hello? Right. And Jane is all like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense because he needs to be able to run the business for her. Like, girl, right. you seem smart enough. As if it's enough. like has sentimental value or something yeah. to him. And he yeah, burned all of crazy. their photos except for one. And he's moving on so quickly with somebody else as well. That's weird. Mm-hmm. There, okay, is it just me or is there something really strange going on with this business? From B's journal, she seems to be totally innocent and she does consider Blanche to be her very best friend. Mm-hmm. She goes so far as to even think that Blanche is just jealous of all of her success that day in the, the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But Trip claimed that B kept stealing her ideas for her company from Blanche. Mm-hmm. And there's this really odd moment when they're sitting at the restaurant and B points out that Southern Manners is about to release a bracelet that looks exactly like the one Blanche is wearing. And Blanche yeah. kind of violently bristles at the mention. She hates Eddie. There just seems to be something really weird going on around this business and Eddie taking 100%. it over. And there's there's weirdness there. It even made me wonder if, like, Blanche and Eddie might have known each other from before or something. Like, why does she hate him so much? Yeah, why wasn't she happy at all for B when she said that she was engaged? Yeah. And I feel like it's not really a strong enough answer to say that she could just tell that Eddie wasn't really into her. No, yeah. Because they weren't together long enough. I don't know how you would get a sense of that. But also, there's something really interesting going on between Blanche and her marriage her with husband. Trip. Like, yes. what is that? Because Trip, I'm like, is he just really a really good actor and he's putting this on? Mm. Or was he completely misguided about their marriage? Right. Not misguided, you know, on another page. Right. Well, and I kept wondering, too, like, I mean, I know that Eddie and Trip. I think they're supposed to be friends, right? But, like, could Trip have somehow found out that, like, Eddie and Blanche had had an affair or something? Mm. Like, I don't know. It just seems like Eddie must have been feeding. B seems completely innocent of, I don't get the impression that she has knowingly been stealing Blanche's ideas. Right. And putting them into her business. So it made me wonder, like, so Eddie must be doing that or something. And so does he have some history with Blanche that we don't know about? And maybe that's Mm. some of the friction between Blanche and her husband is coming from that? I don't know. There's something just very strange going on with that whole situation. With Southern Manners. (laughs) What a name. (laughs) Well, something we haven't talked about yet is the people that live in Thornfield Estates. But the people that live in this neighborhood all seem 
fucking terrible. Yeah. And I'm curious because the this book is dedicated, the author, Rachel, dedicated <gasps> this book to her mother, who she That's said, right. thank goodness, is not like any of the mothers in this book. And so I haven't gotten a taste of what that is yet. But I'm like, that's going to be interesting when we find out who these mothers are. Because none of them have said that they're mothers yet. No. But everyone just seems pretty terrible, I'll say. Yeah. And there are so many references in these chapters about the contrast specifically between between Jane's life and how she grew up Mm -hmm. and where she lives to this upper, upper class wealthy neighborhood that she works in. And so I actually wanted to ask you if you could relate at all to any of that. Have you ever worked in a position or socially been involved in a similar situation where you felt like you'd be discovered maybe for not being on their playing field? Or were your interactions with some highlighted the huge disparity between your lives? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this totally completely relates, but I used to work as a personal assistant for a woman who was also kind of involved in like the downtown indie theater scene. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'd sometimes go to events or interact with people who I actually wanted to be on a professional footing with like as an actor, right? Like people who I wanted to be working with professionally, but I'm interacting with them as her assistant. And I mean, it did make me feel like they looked at me differently because of that. She also didn't Mm -hmm. help the situation because of the way she would often introduce me or like just the way she sort of carried herself sometimes wasn't, didn't make me seem like the most professional person. Mm -hmm. And then I'm being presented in a certain way to these other people, right? Um, And then on top of that, they don't then even really know me as an actor at all. They know me as a personal assistant. So, I mean, it got to the point where, you know, she would have readings and stuff with her theater company that she'd need cast. And I didn't want to reach out to my friends to have them be a part of it because I didn't want to be seen this way, like as a personal assistant to my friends and stuff. So it, it became really awkward because I had to form this like bubble around that part of my life. But like, how do you do that when the two, these two parts of your life have such huge overlap you know what I mean so it was really yeah that's hard it was really sloppy and just yeah like kind of just a shitty situation (laughs) how long did you do that for I did that for years and I shouldn't complain because I was actually it was a job that I was super lucky to have she was incredibly flexible with me if an audition ever came up it was like no question go do your audition so there were so many great things about it. The just biggest drawback was that overlap. If I had been a personal assistant for just some person, I feel like that would have been a lot easier. But because mm-hmm. we were all involved in the same industry, it just felt so shitty to interact with these people and have to call myself her assistant mm-hmm. as opposed to just showing up as a professional in my own right. <sighs> That's so hard. I think it's really hard when you're doing a job that's not what you want to be doing, but it's in your field. Yeah. Or like, yeah. for me, catering for parties for productions, you know, where you right. want to be on the other side, those are the hardest. Because mm-hmm. you're yeah. looking at everyone else who's there enjoying the thing and you want to be on that side. And instead you're like, right. would you like this 
shrimp scampi, you know? Like, right. Or how many times did it happen, like, working in a restaurant where, you know, somebody does a buyout of the entire restaurant and you're there passing food and it's, like, the agency. Like, it's your, like, dream agency. And people you've emailed before, you know, like, and here you are serving them shrimp. You know, it's actually amazing that you just said that. It's like you knew the answer to my own question. (laughs) Because that was an example that I was going to use for this. I think I've actually oh, told this story on the podcast. I, I had completely forgotten about this, though, actually. <laughs> and I wasn't necessarily catering, but I was working as a server at my old restaurant. And there was a buyout of the whole restaurant. It was a Christmas party for one of the top agencies that, of course, I would die to work with. Right. Do you remember this? Have I told this? There was I, this you one have, guy. but I don't really remember. I'm going to retell it. So if you all have heard this, you can fast forward. No, they love it. (laughs) It's so (laughs) fucked up. There was this one guy that I found myself, I kept serving cocktails to. I don't know, we were just like always in the same path or he always ended up taking something from my tray. Mm -hmm. So you know, like when there's always like the same person, you kind of, like you make eye contact with each other. It's like this understood, like I got you if you need something. You've got a rapport with them. Yeah. So he was obviously getting more progressively drunk throughout the evening because I had served him a lot of cocktails, okay? That's what I'm there to do. And it was towards the end of the evening, and I'm there giving him a drink, and he looks at me and goes, you know what I'd really love right now? Oh, yeah. I remember this. And I was like, oh, God. He goes, you know those little pretzel bites with nacho cheese sauce? Gross. (laughs) Gross. <laughs> I really love those right now. And I was like, well, you know, there's lucky for you. There's a movie theater literally next door. You can go oh and get my them. God. And he goes, or I can give you this $100 bill. You can go and get uh, them. Uh, and I was like, ew. And I was like, well, you know, it's $100. <laughs> it was like a few years ago. And I was like, yeah, I mean, whatever. And I didn't want to be working anyway. So I went to my manager and asked if I could go. And she was like, no, fuck him. He can go himself. And I was like, yeah. So I returned the $100 bill. And I was like, sorry, I can't. And he was like, you can keep it anyway. And like put it in my pocket. And I was like, this never, he never would have asked. Like there obviously was this unspoken agreement that, he was like higher up than I was. Right. For him to be able to offer me $100 to go get pretzels and cheese. Like, he wouldn't have done that for like another agent. Right. At Absolutely the party. No. It was because I was helping him. Right. Anyway, so that was an example that I thought of. And I don't know if you remember this, but when I told this story, I think I also went on to say how I offered, I was like, I will take off my apron and throw this on the ground right now and go get your pretzels and cheese and walk out of this restaurant and never come back if you set me up with a meeting at your agency. Right, right. <laughs> it's like super fucking bold. Never should have done it, but whatever. And it didn't happen. What are you talking anyway. about? Never should have done it. I think that's badass. Well, not very professional for either end, but whatever. But the other example that I think is a little more fitting is there have been a couple families since I've lived in New York that I've babysat for Mm -hmm. that clearly are much more well off than I am. Right. 
And it's interesting because when I first moved to the city, I was babysitting this little girl who was three who lived in my neighborhood up in Washington Heights. And it was super chill. It was super relaxed. The mom was so awesome. She was like, eat whatever you want in the kitchen. I mean, also, I was like 22, I think. So it was a different time. And I was like, this is the best job ever. But I felt like not part of the family, but I felt very comfortable, you know, being there. Uh With these two families that I have babysat for that live on the Upper West, it's very apparent that I am kind of like the help. The help. I'm not permitted to eat. Like, they never have said, you know, feel free to eat dinner when they're eating dinner. Like, bring your own food. It's just kind of assumed that I don't eat. And if I want to take a drink, I go into the pantry where my bag is to get my water bottle. Like, it's like that. And the first family that I nannied for, they had a personal chef and the chef was cooking them like Wagyu beef and like fucking gorgeous meals. And when the kids didn't want any more, I would take because I was supposed to like clear their plates. And so I would take their plates to the kitchen and I would like sneak food off of their plate so that I could eat something because I was so hungry. And I didn't want to waste it. So I would literally eat their food off their plate. And then, like, put it in the trash can really fast so that no one caught me. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, so how long did they have you working there without, like, like how long were you working Two in a day? Two and a half years. No, I mean, like, what what did a shift look like? Like, how long are you going without food? Like, if Five they're hours. eating dinner, why are you not eating dinner? Because it just I was wasn't. the way it was. Yeah, because I, I was the nanny. That is... So weird. And, like, the parents were lovely. They really were. I liked them a lot. I don't even know if they understand that that's, like, a weird thing. But that's it's almost just, like, like they don't one think example. of you as, like, a human person who, like, obviously, if it's dinner time, you probably need to be eating dinner as well. They just see you as, like, the nanny who will clear the children's plates. Yeah. In, in both situations. Weird. So, I mean, that's just one tiny example. I could go on. We don't have time. But though it is interesting once you're fully involved in people that live lives very outside of yours. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. One thing. I'm going to pull a brandy. One little thing that I wanted to mention (laughs) is the significance of magnolias. Oh, yes. Because they are on the cover of the book. Uh Uh-huh. It's the art cover, the art. Yeah. And there's that reference of the magnolia that's in the tiles. Right. I actually don't remember what In the bathroom, I think. Remember? Because she goes to that big, beautiful bathtub and she's like, I'm definitely going to enjoy this. Yeah. Mm. I I think that's where it was. So I was like, I feel like there's something, there's got to be something said about magnolias. So I looked it up. Yeah. And the magnolia is a very tough, hard flower, due in part because it's had to adapt to changing climactic and geological conditions in order to survive. So because of this, the magnolia represents endurance, eternity, and long life. They tend to live for many years because of their resistance. It's also thought of to be like a very, quote-unquote, feminine flower. Uh Uh-huh. It's very, it's a beautiful flower, yeah. It's beautiful, yeah. So it's it's supposed to have, like, feminine qualities. And in America, the magnolia is associated with the South because uh-huh. it's the official state flower of Mississippi and Louisiana, which, of course, borders with Alabama, where the book is set. 
But I just thought maybe that's supposed to be like a little metaphor that like B is the magnolia and she's super resilient. Or maybe Jane. You don't like Jane. Jane. I don't. I'm judging her. You know what? I don't like anybody in this book so far. (laughs) Like I don't like any of these characters. Nobody has any redeeming qualities. Even B, I'm a little bit like suspicious of still. That's fair. So I guess you're right. Either one of them could be John, the creepy ass roommate. No, I don't like John. He's a fucking weirdo. He reminds me of, in Broad City, he reminds me of Bevers, Abby's roommate. I feel like John has to be modeled after Bevers. He's a fucking hilarious character. But I I was also trying to figure out, like, why there's been so much emphasis on John. And I realized at the end of this week's chapters, what I'm theorizing is I think that John is going to be the foil because he's the only one who's seen the two of them together and he knows Eddie's face and he now has Eddie's Mm. business card. So I feel like John is going to actually end up kind of saving the day or saving Jane. Yeah, you're right. There's no way that this character is now just gone from the story. They've spent... Too much time has been spent sort of fleshing him out and their relationship out. I think also... Did you have a sense of, like, what their relationship, what their history was? Because we know she comes to stay with him, but we don't really know why. I was like, are they exes? Like, have they been worth – did they used to date? The only thing I could think of is, like, did they go through foster care together? Like, was he one of the foster kids at one of the houses she was also a foster at? Or I could also see him being one of the legitimate kids at one of the places where she was a foster kid. You know what I mean? Because he does seem to think there's this hierarchical thing between the two of them. He feels very entitled to take Mm. her food. He's constantly asking her for, like, money and the rent money. So I did wonder, why does he think he's above her? And he knows her past. I wonder if he knows her pre-Jane identity. Also, he must. He must know who she was before she became Jane. Yeah, he's going to fuck something up or save someone or both. Right. (laughs) Or maybe he'll fuck something up and then she'll save him or B will save them all. Who knows? Where is it going to go? Where is it going to go? Or could Blanche come back from you know maybe blanche is the steel magnolia maybe blanche is stashed away in a cabin somewhere still on that lake he didn't actually kill her but she escapes she gets Mm. out she shows up as the fucking steel magnolia and she kills him with one of those southern manners dishes that looks like you know something at her own house you know yes and then she's like like, bitch you stole my design like a bee yeah for bee Tell us your theories, listeners. Yeah, we want to know your theories, too. No spoilers, but I am curious to hear what other people think. What people think, where this is going. I'm also curious to see how it's going to diverge from Jane Eyre. You know what I mean? Because there are already little hints of that. So I'm curious when it's going to go along and then when it's going to be like, nope, this Mm -hmm. is a different story. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting to see. Listen, are you ready for a final question? I am. Because I've got a good one. Okay. My great Jane is almost done. (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed to admit that until Jane pointed out that Southern Manners, the name of B Store, was a pun, 
I really didn't get it. It honestly, I it took me. Either. I was like, wait, how is that a pun? Like, I probably marinated on it for uh. several minutes before I was like, oh, okay. So I want to know, Emma, if you had a business with a punny name, yes. what would it be called and what would you sell? I love this because as I said at the beginning of this so episode, silly. I'm really on a pun kick right now. That's right. My business would be called Live, Laugh, or Love. <laughs> My last name is Or Love, y'all. I love it. O-R-E-L-O-V-E. <laughs> And I would sell inspirational quotes engraved on shit. Jewelry, keychains. We can do embroidered on clothes. Okay. It's going to be one of those things that I make fun of, but be very successful in the South. Oh, because it's meant to be like those live, laugh, love. like Yeah, live, laugh, love. Yeah, got but it. But live, laugh, or, or love. Got it. I love it. You or so love it? I, I or love it. <laughs> I might say that forever now when I say I love something. I or love that. <laughs> Meaning I love it ironically. Okay. Mine would be called Amuse Douche. <gasps> and we'd sell little gift tchotchkes that would subtly let someone know that they're being a douche while amusing everyone around them. So, so Jane... <laughs> Could gift John our exploding yogurt that looks deceptively like regular <laughs> yogurt, except it explodes when opened, spraying the yogurt thief with gloopy yogurt so that onlookers <laughs> can laugh, point, and judge. And that's just one of our products, y'all. There would be a whole line, you know. Wait, can you actually start this though? Because I love that. At first, I thought you were going to go with like a literal douche. <laughs> I thought you were making like a, like a douche, douche that line. Amuses you? Yeah. A douche that tickles. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening to this riveting content. We love hearing from you all. We or love hearing from you all. So if you think of a detail we might have missed from any of our books or a question you want to ask or something you want to recommend, hit us up on Instagram. Yeah. And you. Yeah, you. Yeah. The one who loves our podcast and still hasn't reviewed us. Oh, yeah. You know what? I see you. Yeah. You know who you are. Get on over to Apple Podcasts, make up a cute little handle, and leave us a five-star review. Yeah. Do it. For part two next week, <laughs> we'll be reading to the end of chapter 20. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk? We're still drunk to find out what the next cocktail pairing for this book will be so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because if you can't tell, it's always, always happy, happy happy hour, hour here. Well, I think that does it for See us. See you douchebags next week. <laughs> You'll or love it. I or love you. I or love you. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>